So I welcome you all today, and I'd first like to say a welcome, especially to old members who have come today to visit with us. We are so thankful that you took that special time from your regular church services to come here. Um, I see some already, but I'd like you to stand um, so I don't miss anybody. Of course, I see Michael, I see Joanne, I see others, but if you can stand for me and just tell everybody who's, who's here, and um, we just want to give a round of applause to you. So. <laughs> so we'll start over here. Um, so we'll start with our members, and then you can also, any visitors can also go ahead. I see standing. So go, yeah, you guys can go ahead and stand as well. That'd be fine. That'd be great. So we'll start over here with Michael and his family. Go over here to Aunt Joanne. Come back over here. Okay, so our visitors, we'd like to say. Anderson, wonderful, okay. Amen. Thank you, Gloria. Amen. We got Brenda. Wonderful, amen. Amen. Okay, go ahead and stay seated. We have the next part of our program. Good morning. My name is Lawrence Thomas. I am one of the deacons here. I share a little bit of how I came to be at the church. Brian used to invite me to Bible study at his house. Um, funny story about that. He used to heat his house with a stove. So we'd come like... Are you cooking? He's like, no, we got to warm the house up. You know, it's kind of cold. <laughs> now, that might run most people away, but it didn't run me away because I'm like, okay, well, sounds efficient to me. You can cook and heat at the same time. <laughs> and uh, I started attending that Bible study, and somebody started harassing me as I sat behind the door. Why do you never bring the video game system for me to play? Like, I bring it for the guys to play. So I brought it this one time, and the person was not even there. Fast forward. Ten years later, and that's my wife, so. <laughs> and then the final story I had, when I, when I came in, it was a, one of the screens wasn't working. And I was like, oh, I think I can fix it. I get up here and I fix it, and it was uh, Mr. Richards. He was a deacon here at the time. And he goes, we've been praying for somebody to come work on the soundboard. And I'm like, I just wanted to come in and enjoy church. So <laughs> I thank God that he was able to pull me into the ministry, and I've been here ever since. I've been, I walked in here in December of 2006 and have not left this building since. So <laughs> praise God for that. So what I want to do is I want to recognize some of our charter members we have. We have some here. I will read the list of charter names. Don't kill me if the names are wrong. I didn't make the program. Because there were some marriages that took place that were not reflected on the initial uh, roster. So I'm going to try to update this as I go. You can stand if you'd like to. Riley Hardnett. Joanne Boone. Jo Joanne Boone. That's you. Yep, yep. <laughs> Cliff Hill. Already up. All right. Uh, 
Shirley Hill's on here. Jacqueline Holt. Yep. Mac Holt. Brian D. Kenner. Donna Kenner. Ernest Kenner. He's not here with us today. Mardine Kenner. Ronald Lundell. Annette Wallace. Dwayne Thomas. Where's he hiding at? I saw him earlier. There you go. And Gary Thomas. And we have our pastor, who's our founder, Brian D. Kenner, who's already stood. And in our first deacons were Mac Holt and Ernest Kenner. So we praise God for those who serve that allowed us to be here 25 years later. So now we have the next part. Hi, Daniel. I think it's particularly appropriate that I get to read the church history. I've been here since the church started. I was six years old. And it just occurred to me that we have been singing This Is The Day for the past 25 years. <laughs> we originally sang it with a tape, and we would sing it first, we would all shake hands, and then we would sing it again. We would all be back in our seats by then. But now, we sing it once, then we play it three or four times, and everybody is still hugging and shaking hands and welcoming, but I think that's just reflective of our name and the community that this is. Like we really do enjoy being around each other and having that sweet communion. So I just thought that was funny, like 25 years with the same same welcome song. <laughs> Thanks, Daniel. A Monday night Bible study was started on Monday, January 10th, 1994. It was held in the home of Brian and Donna Kenner at 4523 North 22nd Street. After prayer and seeking the Lord's will for several months, this collection of believers was led by the Lord to start a church. On Sunday, March 20th, 1994, the first service was held at the North Suburban YMCA, located at 9250 North Green Bay Road in Brown Deer, Wisconsin. Sweet Communion Baptist Church was born. 66 people attended the first service. Sunday evening services and Wednesday prayer meetings were held in the basement of the home of Pastor Brian and his family. After several months of teaching and preaching, a membership class was conducted to induct individuals into Sweet Communion as official members. These first candidates completed the class and became charter members. Church life included worship, Sunday school, choir, fellowship, evangelism, discipleship, visitation and follow-up, and the setting up and breaking down of chairs and equipment after each service. <laughs> Sweet Communion held its first baptism on Sunday, June 12, 1994, in the pool of the YMCA. The believers of SCBC met for Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Wednesday services at the North Suburban YMCA for three years until a renovation there forced us to relocate. In May 1997, SCBC moved to the Neighborhood House, 2819 West Richardson Place, near 28th and Kilbourn. During our stay here, we focused on neighborhood evangelism. People, people would often come off of the street to attend these services. One man, in an obvious state of inebriation, actually served as an uninvited pianist during a morning worship service. He literally walked up to the piano and started banging on it until one of the ushers gently asked him to leave. More people were added to the body, including my best friend. And a children's choir ministry began during this time. After serving there for less than a year, we faced another relocation challenge and were asked to move. In January 1998, SCBC moved to Holton Street YMCA on East Burleigh Street. 
The Lord added many families to SDBC during this period, and a passion for evangelism allowed us to use the gospel to impact several communities around the church's location and the neighborhoods of several members. A building committee and a building fund was started to purchase a building. We enjoyed the use of this building facility, but after two years, the YMCA staff gave us a sudden 30-day notice to relocate. We prayed to God for help, and the Lord answered. The YMCA staff reconsidered and allowed us a year to find a new location. Our search for a new location intensified, culminating in the purchase of this present building, 3765 North 35th Street, in May 2001. After purchase, an immediate renovation of the fellowship hall and lobby entrance was made to allow for a first service on June 10, 2001. Nearly two years later, the chapel, nursery, and restrooms were completed. The first service in the completed chapel, which is the room we're in right now, was a 50th year wedding renewal for Ernest R. and Mardine Kenner on Saturday, June 28, 2003. They are still happily married, by the way. The following day, Sunday, June 29, 2003, was the first Sunday morning service in the completed chapel. God has sustained SDBC during many challenges in its history. The Lord has kept us through a leadership challenge in 1998 when several leaders resigned. In 2001, two families involved in sin caused a rift in the church that led nearly half of its members away. The doctrinal emphasis on the sovereignty of God caused a strain within the church, and several families left. Several challenges have pressed us spiritually, emotionally, financially, and physically, but God has kept us encouraged through them all. While many families have come and gone through the doors of Sweet Communion for various reasons, God has given us a faithful core of believers. Our choir director, our first deacon, our pastor and first lady have served the ministry faithfully for the past 25 years in the same capacity and continue to be a blessing to our church. Amen. By God's grace, through the years of this ministry, we have seen an impact of the gospel in such opportunities as deep breath, evangelism, discipleship, counseling, teaching and preaching ministries, nursing home caroling, vacation Bible school, five-day Bible clubs, Alpha Women's Center, Armani House, a neighborhood drug rehabilitation house ministry, Ethan Allen Boys Home Ministry, the Deaf Ministry, Women's Joy House Ministry, Missions and Ministries in Cape Town, South Africa, Missions in Romania, Missions in China, Milwaukee Rescue Mission Ministries, Marquette, UWM, and MATC College Student Bible Studies, Maranatha Baptist Bible College Student Maranatha Baptist Bible College Student Exchange, Northland Bible College Student Exchange, the Young Adult Bible Study, Children and Youth Choir Ministries, the Music Ministries like the Ensemble, Praise Team, Choir. Fishers of Men, Discipleship, Praise in the Park, Food and Clothing Pantry, Garden Harvest Ministry, Men's Retreat, Women's Retreat, Wrestling Camp, Jump Rope Camp, Boys Boot Camp, <laughs> Praise and Poetry Jam, Kenner and Kenner Productions, Truth Seekers, and Youth for Christ. That's a lot of ministries. <laughs> Just pause for a second and think of how many different people we have touched in each one of those. I'm not going to count them, but even if you just count, just reach one person in each of those ministries, that's just a huge impact, and Milwaukee just sorely needs that. We have seen the Lord work miraculous healings in our congregation, and he has sustained us through financial gifts and donations of land that has allowed this ministry to continue to thrive. We have seen growth in our style of worship, the diversity of our church and its partners, our understanding of God's word, and our relationships with the Savior. So praise God for sweet communion. Now we'll call the ushers up for our, this morning's offering.
expert for 25 years. I want to read a scripture reading today. We're going to be reading from 1 Thessalonians 4. So everybody, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Um, the children, we have binders still in the back. And please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. This is the word of God. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, that as you have received from us, how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles, who do not know God, that one trans no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. That's the reading of God's word. And I'll be praying. We want to thank God for the reading and prepare our hearts to receive his word. Amen. Amen. So let me pray. Dear Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your word. It has been faithfully taught in this church for 25 years. We thank you, Lord, for calling my father into the ministry, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for all those who have helped support him in this ministry, Lord. And as a celebration, Lord, as a church, Lord, I think back when I was just a little boy when this church started. And now, Lord, I've been able to preach in this church, Lord. I've been trained in this church. I get to teach in this church. And I think about all the different teachings and ministries that we have where your word goes out. And I think, Lord, about how you have prepared my father to do sermons on Sundays and on Sunday evenings and on Wednesdays. Three times a week, each one is a different message. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for our Sunday school, that we get to get the word out there, that we get taught by good teachers, Lord, men skilled in handling the word of God. We thank you, Lord, for on Wednesday, we get to have various ways of hearing your word from the teaching to the meditation to simply praying through your word. We thank you, Lord, for our various Bible studies that have existed throughout the time of this ministry. I remember years ago, me, Michael, and Jeremy, we started a Bible study, Lord, and how that has impacted so many, Lord. And that was all because we heard the word here and we took it to others in our own age group. And many of those who are young in this church now, Lord, have started families and everything, they were impacted by that study, Lord. And so we thank you for that. But this is all the ministry of the word that is you made it to be the centerpiece of your church. And so, Lord, we thank you, Lord. You said, Paul said, and through the foolishness of preaching, men can be saved. And in another place, Lord, you said, your word makes us wise unto salvation. 
You said in another place, Lord, the church is the pillar and the buttress of the truth. And so, Lord, help us to be that, Lord. We thank you for bringing us here 25 years, Lord, but help us not to be too caught up in our past that we don't look forward to what we need to be doing for the future. And sometimes when we look back on those ministries we did in the past, Lord, maybe we can think back that maybe we lost a little bit of passion here and there. Maybe we aren't as earnest as we could be. And so, Lord, help us to push ourselves, Lord. Help us to rebuke our own selves. Help us to repent and to charge forward, Lord, so that we can be faithful for another 25 years. And I pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated. What a blessing it is to be here today to celebrate what God has done in his work that he has started here, this work 25 years ago. I am excited to be a part of this work. I'm excited to have for our speaker today a man that has been an encouragement to me. In fact, uh, was an early instructor of mine uh, in the, in the school where we started at Berean, a Bible Institute, where I first met him. He began to teach there, and he was pastoring then at the Victory Baptist in, here in Milwaukee. And he was, one thing that I remembered about him then was his love for the Lord, his love for God's word, and he had a zeal for the gospel. I would often see him just roaming through neighborhoods, passing out tracts, and just uh, meeting people uh, door to door. And so it's been a blessing to, to see that zeal and have that zeal modeled for me. And it's been a blessing to have him come and be a part of the, uh, the uh, special day today. I think the last time that he was here, we had a couples conference. And uh, we just had a, we had a good time in, in the Lord, a good time in God's word during that time. And uh, he has been an encouragement to Sweet Communion. He's been an encouragement to me personally and to our family. So, Pastor George Richardson, would you come at this time and minister God's word? Thank you. God bless you. Thank you so much, Pastor Kenner. It is a delight to be in God's house this morning. It is a delight to be here at Sweet Communion Baptist Church. I've always admired the name, but more importantly, I've always admired the church, the people. Every time I come to this church, I'm just intrigued with the enthusiasm and the excitement for the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the music, have always loved the music here at Sweet Communion. And today you have not disappointed me at all. What a blessing it has been. I'm delighted to have my wife with me. Um, babe, would you stand? Everyone knows Renette. <clears throat> we were childhood sweethearts. I wouldn't tell you how old I was or how old she was, but we were children. And um, God has been so good to us. We've been married now for 40 years. Can you believe it? 40 years to this woman. <laughs> and we dated for seven years, so you figure it out. I am so happy to be 
back at Sweet Communion. You know, the church is sometimes like the, the growth of the church, I should say, is like the stock market. You ever seen how the stock market pattern itself? You got your ups and downs and ups and downs, but it's constantly moving up. And, um, and one of these days, we're going to have that final upward move, and we're not going to come back down. I'm so happy. Pastor Kenner has been a good friend of mine over the years, and I've loved him. I've loved his family. I've loved his zeal for the things of God. We are both graduates of Maranatha Baptist Bible College, and um, we've been taught to preach the word and to be faithful to the things of God. And I, I want to say a prayer of dedication for uh, Pastor Kenner and his wonderful family, as well as for this church, for how God has brought us along. We want to pray for his sustaining grace and power as he continues to minister and to work here in this wonderful church. So let's take a moment or two, and we'll ask God's blessings and prayer upon this church. Let us pray. Oh God, our oh Heavenly Father, we give you thanks, Lord, for what you have done in this church through this man of God. Lord, we know that it doesn't take one, it's not just one person that is instrumental in establishing and bringing a church along, but you use your servant, Lord, as the shepherd, the under-shepherd of the flock. And we pray, God, that you would continue to keep your hand of mercy and grace and power and anointing upon this man of God. We pray that you'd bless his family. We pray that you would meet their needs day by day by day. I pray that you would keep them encouraged, Lord, and to keep their eyes fixed upon you. Heavenly Father God, we pray for this congregation. We thank you for the faithful few who steadfastly keep moving forward. We thank you, Lord, for everyone that make up this body. We pray, Lord, that they would not be satisfied with where they are right now, but would look forward to where you want to take them. And by your grace and power, through the working of your Holy Spirit, may you move them forward, onward, ever increasing in the grace and in the knowledge and in the power of God. May your blessings be upon them. May they continue to grow. May the light continue to shine from this house of worship. And may you be honored and glorified and magnified through their ministry. And we'll give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I want to talk to you this morning about the marks of a great church. The marks of a great church. I can't think of a greater church than probably the one at Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The church at Thessalonica began with the second missionary journey of Paul and Silas as they journeyed through Asia Minor. As they journeyed, the first place they would go, of course, would be in the synagogue, and there they would preach the gospel that Christ died for our sins, and that he was buried, and that the third day he arose from the dead victorious. Acts chapter 17 gives us a wonderful synopsis of the church at Thessalonica. 
So if you want to know more about that church, you will read that passage or that chapter in Acts chapter 17. But in Acts chapter 17 and verse 3, it says that Paul was opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and be risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom we serve is Savior. Wherever Paul went, he proclaimed that message. That message is none other than the unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ. The key in establishing the church at Thessalonica was the gospel. Paul faithfully and endlessly proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my friends, I want to say to you this morning, we must continue to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in its simplicity and in its fervency. We cannot cease but preach and teach the things of Christ. When Paul preached the gospel, the gospel had an impact on the hearts and lives of people. Here again in Acts chapter 17 and verse 4, it says, And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Jews a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. So they responded. You know, listen, a lawyer, a lawyer's tool is the statutes, right? The legal documents. A philosopher's tool is logic. An accountant's tool is numbers, right? A doctor's tool is a scalpel. His thes thes I always have trouble with that. Thethoscope. <laughs> a dentist's tool is his drill, right? And that syringe that I dread. A sailor's tool is his compass. An educator's tool is instruction. But the tool of the church of God is none other than the gospel. The gospel. The minute we step away from preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, my friends, we are going to be like a ship without a rudder, without a compass. We will be drifting aimlessly. The gospel. And so Paul used the gospel, and the gospel was effective. The gospel has always been effective, my dear saints. The gospel works. It was the gospel, the hearing of the gospel for the first time. As a, a, a boy, eight years old, my wife, 12 years old, when we first heard the gospel, it had an impact upon us. The gospel works. And so as Paul preached the gospel, many people embraced it. If you were to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and look at verse, let me get my glasses. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and we read at verse 5, it says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sakes. 
And listen, look at the response of the gospel, the impact of the gospel, the effect of the gospel, verse 6. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received with much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. These people, even though they were persecuted, even though they were beaten, even though they were thrown in jail, they embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ had an impact upon them. Look what it says in verse 7 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. So that ye became examples to all that believed in Macedonia and Achaia. Verse 8. And from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad so that we need not speak anything the gospel works in first Thessalonians chapter 4 we see the growth and the expansion and the effects of the gospel in the church at Thessalonica note as I've said before that the gospel works. The problem is, however, that we are not sowing the gospel as effectively as we are. My friends, God expects us as a body, as a church, as a group of believers, as individual saints of God to just spread the gospel. He doesn't say you have to discuss all of the ins and outs of, you know, eschatology or whatever. Just share the gospel. Just share the gospel. What is the gospel? Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose from the dead like no one has ever done. No religious leader has ever risen from the dead by the power of God through his own volition as Jesus did. That's what sets our Savior apart from all the other religious uh, entities and all of the other people who supposedly are deities. The gospel sets Jesus as the foundation of Christianity. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead by the power of God the Father, and he lives ever seated at the right hand of God the Father. The gospel. No one else has done that but our Savior. So now what are we going to do? Paul writes to the Thessalonian church, or the church at Thessalonica. He instructs them in three different areas. First of all, he writes to them to strengthen young believers in their faith. Young Christians need to grow. And Paul was singling out these young Christians and saying, look, you've got to go on. It's not enough just to get saved. It's not enough just to say, you know, your, your, your sins are forgiven. But you've got to grow. You've got to keep pressing on in your Christian faith. That's one of the reasons he wrote this book. Secondly, he wrote the book to encourage holy living among the Christians. Friends, when we get saved, the thing that sets us apart is that we've got to live holy. We've got to be sanctified unto God. And then thirdly, he wrote this book to comfort those saints 
who had lost loved ones. He says, I want you to sorrow not as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so those who have died in Christ will God bring with him. He says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So he wrote to comfort them. The effects of the gospel at Thessalonica was powerful. The Thessalonian church, indeed, was a model church, somewhat as I consider sweet communion to be, a model church. When I come to this place, I can sense the love of Christ. When I come to this place, I can sense your fervor and your committed spirit unto Christ. When I come to this church, I, I, I just sense the love and the joy. Everybody seems like they just, they get along. Now that's, I know that we have a little ups and downs. But that's what I feel when I come here. But you know what? Even a model church needs to be encouraged from time to time. Amen? Even a model church needs to keep on growing. Even a model church needs to keep on serving. Even a model church needs to keep their testimony sharp and bright and radiant for the lost to see. Sweet communion, you are certainly a good church. There's no doubt about that. Members of the local church, of this local church, you have a good pastor. You have a good shepherd. You have good people here at this congregation. And I've always felt that way, and I've always loved this church. You're doing a good job. There's no doubt about it. To be able to purchase a building this size as a small congregation, something good is happening here. But let me tell you this morning, we're not done. We're not done. For even a good church can become a great church. And even good people can become greater people. And even a good work can become an outstanding work. And that's where we're going. That is our goal. That is our, our reach. Now, how does a good church become a great church? I think that's what Paul was saying to the, the church at Thessalonica. I want you to become a great church. Paul mentions four things to this church at Thessalonica. And I want to briefly show those, share those four things with you, how a good church becomes a great church. Number one, if you would look at verse 3 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look at verse 3. He says, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should learn how to possess your own vessels, not in the lust of concupiscence, verse 6, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother. He mentions a number of things here. But what I want us to see, it go back up to verse 1. He says, furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so that ye would abound more and more. The first thing I see here that's going to make a good church a great church, we have got to walk 
in holiness. We've got to be holy. We've got to be holy. Verse 7. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. We've got to be holy. What is holiness? Holiness, holy living sets the church of God apart from the world. When people look at us, they're going to see something different about us. They're going to see that our faith is different. They're going to see that our walk is different. They're going to see that our talk is different. They're going to see that we are just a different people. And that's going to cause them to want to know, what makes you so different? Why are you so set apart? What is it? And we have an opportunity then to share with them the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Holy living. God intended that the church be a beacon of light in a dark and a depraved world. And I can tell you what, our world is dark and our world is depraved. More and more every day, every day, the things that are happening in our world, it makes us say, Lord Jesus, even so, come quickly. I wonder about our children and our grandchildren, bringing them up in a world that is corrupt where we have to be constantly watching our backs, never know who will come in our doors to hurt us. Our world is sick and depraved. But we as a church must stand out and we must shine forth the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that others can see that we are a different, that we're different. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 7 says, God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. And you know what? As a church, we've got to set aside those things, those sins that easily beset us. We have to walk away from them. We need to have short accounts with sin. Confess your sins every day to, to the Lord. Ask for strength that we may live holy and acceptable and pleasing in his sight. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, um, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God wants us to be holy. The holier that we live, the more the power of God will rest upon us. The more God will bring people into this church, they will say, we want to be like you. We want what you have. We, we want the radiance of Christ to shine in our hearts and our lives as he shines in your hearts and in your lives. We have to be holy. Holiness means living more like Christ and less like the world. Holiness means separated from, oh, from worldliness and ungodliness. Anything that would defile us, we need to abstain from it. We need to walk away. Holiness means that we may have to choose new friends. Instead of the old friends that want to lead us in the wrong way, we may have to choose new friends, godly friends, friends who honor and adore the Lord Jesus Christ. Holiness means not conforming to the world, but being separated, as he tells us in the scripture. Holiness means ever conscious of God's presence and living to please him in such a way each day. So if we're going to be a great church, we have got to be holy. When Moses encountered God in the mountain, the Lord said to him, 
Look, put your shoes off your feet. Put your shoes off your feet, for the ground upon which thou standest is holy ground. You know, Moses' shoes, in those days they wore sandals, kind of like flip-flops. And as they would walk, their, the shoes would get dusty. Their feet would get dusty. And God was saying to Moses, Moses, you know what? Daily, your life might become contaminated with sin. And if you're going to be in my presence, you got to put those shoes off. you got to put those sinful habits away so that in my sight you can be holy and pleasing and acceptable and I will bless you. Sweet communion, we want the blessings of God upon our lives. We want God's power to reign and rule supreme among us. And in order for that to happen, we've got to put aside anything that would hinder or would quench the Spirit of God from working in our lives and from working in our midst. So holiness, number one. Number two, we have to walk with hospitality. Hospitality. Look at verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed, ye do it towards all the brethren which are in Macedonia. But, ye, but we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase how much? More and more. You see, God is not satisfied with where we are right now. I said, sweet communion, you are a good church. You've got good people. You're doing good things. You're faithful in preaching and proclaiming the word of God. But God wants us to abound more and more. God, God's not satisfied with just the drippings. God wants a bountiful harvest. So, hospitality. He says that we are taught of God to love one another. Paul reminds the church at Thessalonica concerning brotherly love. That brotherly love is sanctioned by God. He says, you are taught of God in verse 9. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 1 says, let brotherly love continue. One of the brothers was talking earlier about when we get together, when Sweet Communion gets together. It's, they get together around food and the fellowship and the, the love of Christ. And that's, that's what it's all about. That's how it should be. Communion one with another. And so God likes it when we love each other, when we reach out to each other, when one brother or sister hurts. God loves it when we run to that person's aid and assist that person and ask what we can do to help. We usually demonstrate that if there is a loved one that has passed away. You know, we kind of jump in there and we take meals to them and we ask what we can do to help and so on. And, and that's how it should be. The church at Thessalonica was a love-filled church. First Thessalonians chapter 1, he talks about their work of faith and their labor of love. What a great church that was. And sweet communion, we can be that way also. We just have to keep on pressing on by the grace of God. Paul's prayer for the church at Thessalonica is that they would increase and abound 
more and more. You know, the devil doesn't like a church that loves the Lord. The devil doesn't, love, doesn't like a church that loves each other. The devil doesn't like a church that loves the souls of men. The devil doesn't like a church that loves the Lord. The devil doesn't like a church that loves God's word. And so he's going to fight. He's going to throw obstacles in our way. He's going to make it difficult for us. He's going to oppose us. He's going to try to hinder us in every way as he hindered Paul on his journeys. So what do we have to do? The Bible says, wherefore put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the tricks of the devil. Pray ye that ye enter not into temptation. He warns us and admonishes us. So we've got to be watchful. Watch therefore and be careful and be sober because the devil doesn't like what's happening here at Sweet Communion. He doesn't like the direction that we're going. He doesn't like the God that we serve and he's going to oppose us on every end. And we've got to be prepared. Saints of God, we've got to bind together in love and unity. You know, we can learn a lot from the animals. I don't know whether you've ever seen um, some of those documentaries with the animal shows, Net Geo, National Geographic Wild. And the thing I like about, I don't like to see how lions devour those animals, but that's how God ordained it. But you know what? Some of these animals have adapted. They've adapted some techniques so that when the enemy comes, they can protect each other. In the wildebeest and those, the, the buffaloes, they will form a circle and they will put the young in the midst and they'll form a circle around. The elephants do it too. And you know what? That's what we've got to do as believers. We have got to form a hedge around us so that we do not allow the enemy to come in. We've got to be wise as serpents, the scripture says, and harmless as doves. Don't let the enemy get in to destroy what God has done. God says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm grateful. As I listen to your history this morning, you know, if all the people that you have touched had stayed here, you'd have to tear out some walls. You'd have to build a balcony. But you see, that's how Satan works. If the church of God is growing, he's going to jump in there in the midst and try to scatter the flock. Well, we can't let him to do that. We can't let him do that. And the, the one way we will do that is to love your pastor, pray for him, encourage him and his family in the things of God. Because the devil will try to uh, slay the shepherd so that the sheep can be scattered. And we don't want that. God is more powerful and God is able to keep us ever increasing and ever growing in the, in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes, when we love each other, when we love God's word, when we love the souls of men, we show that the love of God dwells within our hearts. This is the testimony 
of that the world needs to see about us as believers and about our church. So we need to walk in holiness. We need to practice hospitality. I call it walking in hospitality. The third thing we need to do is to walk honestly or in sincerity. This points to uh, the character of the church. Look at verse 12 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says in verse 12, that ye may walk honestly towards them that are without, and that ye may have lack of nothing. God wants us to walk honestly. When he talks about walking honestly, he's talking about sincerity. Don't let or don't give the world any reason to point a finger at us and cast blame. Walk honestly. Walk in sincerity. God's power for the church is that we walk blamelessly, that we walk uprightly above reproach. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8, See then that ye walk as children of light. Children of light, that's a distinction that has to do with holiness, that has to do with separate living, that has to do with pure living as well. Ephesians 5 again in verse 15 says, See that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Oh, this is the day that we need to walk and not sit. This is the day that we need to walk and not stray. This is the day that we need to walk straight and upright for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I can tell you, I can stand here this morning and tell you that the church of God is under attack. The church of God is under attack. Not just in the United States, but across the world. Something is happening. But I can tell you this morning that when the church of God has been under attack, that is a means of separating the true saints of God from those who are fake. The story is told of a communist, so, uh, of a church that was underground in a communist country. And somehow, the authorities knew where that church was meeting. An underground church is a church who is meeting secretly and hiding. And some communist places, you, you can't meet publicly like we're meeting. Thank God for the privilege that we have in the United States that we can meet as a church whenever, wherever we so desire, and no one harasses us. But in some countries, that's not the way it is. And so this church, they were meeting secretly. They were worshiping God and praising God, and all of a sudden, a soldier showed up, guns drawn. And he said to the congregation, every one of you that denounces the name of Christ, I'll let you go. But those of you who do not, I am going to shoot you. Some people got up and left. They didn't want to die for the cause of Christ. Others stayed with commitment and resolve. And they said, if we have to die for our Lord Jesus Christ, we will do it 
He suffered for us. We will die for him. The soldier put his gun down. He says, guess what? I'm a believer too. We just wanted to get rid of those. It pays to be faithful, to be diligent with our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, God wants us to walk in holiness. He wants us to walk with hospitality. He wants us to walk honestly, sincerely. That means that your faith must be genuine. Don't be in here kind of playing church. Don't be in here pretending to be who you are not. You're not fooling anybody but yourself. God knows your heart. So he wants us, he wants our faith to be genuine. He wants our walk to be blameless if we're going to walk in sincerity. He wants our love to be that which reflects the love of Christ. He wants us to live soberly and righteously in this, God, in this present world. And then the last thing I think that needs to be in a, a, a part of the, 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 the makeup of a church that is a great church is that, lastly, we must walk in hope. We must walk in hope. Now, I, I don't like using the word hope because sometimes when we think of hope, we're thinking of, well, I just, I'm not sure, but I, I, I hope so. Uh, that's not the hope that we have in Christ. The hope that we have in Christ is solid concrete assurance the Bible says looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ the hope that we have is in the Lord first Corinthians first uh, Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13 says for I would not have you to be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep that ye sorrow not even as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them, which, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. And he goes on, he tells them about the fact that Christ is coming again. For this we say unto you, verse 15, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain shall be caught up with the Lord, shall be shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shout of the archangels and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Listen, that is our assurance. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. You know, Noah preached for 120 years. It's going to rain, people. God's going to send a flood. God's going to send a flood. They mocked him. They scoffed him. They ridiculed him. They made fun of him. They didn't believe him. Today we're telling people, listen, the Lord's going to come back. One of these days, there's going to be a gathering of the church, and he's going to, be take, he's going to take the saints of God out of this world. And you'll be left if you're not saved, if you haven't been born again, if you haven't had your sins washed in the blood of the Lamb. You know, they, sometimes it falls on deaf ears. 
But our responsibility is to share the gospel to the lost. We have to keep telling them. Noah told them the first year, they didn't believe. He told them the second year. He told them 10 years, they didn't believe. He told them 20 years, they didn't believe. He told them 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, they didn't believe. He kept on telling them. That's what we have to do. We must keep on going. Listen, what it took to establish this church 25 years ago, the things we did, the practices we went through, the fervent spirit that we had, then we have to keep doing it. We have to keep doing those things. If it worked back then, it'll work now. But like I said, the problem is we, we may have kind of gotten cold. We may have gotten weary. We may have said, well, you know, I've tried that so many times and it hasn't worked. Keep on trying it. The Bible says, be not weary in well-doing, that we must be steadfast lest we faint. So walk in hope. The hope that we have is in the Lord. One of these days, Christ is coming to receive us unto himself. The church is called the bride of Christ. And one of these days, Christ, the groom, is coming to receive his bride. Uh, Titus chapter 2 and verse 13 says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know what? If we live daily with that expectation, the quality of our Christian lives will be pure. It will be blameless. We'll be steadfast in our walk. We'll have short accounts with sin. And we won't conform to the world because we're looking for our Savior. Matthew chapter 24 tells us, Watch therefore, for you know not what hour the Lord doth come. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 13 says, Watch therefore, for we know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. We have to daily expect Christ to return. As we look around us, the conditions of our world constantly are deteriorating. Man's heart is not getting closer to Christ. It's getting further and further away. They don't want anything to do with the things of God. They don't want to hear about Jesus. They use the name of Jesus as a curse word. They use the name of God and to blaspheme the name of God. But we've got to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as we know that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Sweet Communion. Keep pressing forward. Make your commitment and your resolve even more determined now than 25 years ago. Because, listen, 25 years ago, we didn't have some of the vices and the evils and the, 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 the social immorality that is so prevalent anymore. We didn't have to deal with those things. A lot of those things were in the closet, but they're not in the closet anymore. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I retired June of 2016 from the Rockford Public School System as a principal. And I, I go back and I sub periodically in the Rockford Public School. And I'm subbing right now at Auburn High School, one of the biggest high schools in Rockford. And the other day, a girl came up to me and she said, 
She gave me more information than I wanted to know. I, I'd like TMI, too much information. I don't want to hear that. She was talking, well, oh, you know, I'm not, I, 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 she said, I'm in transition. I'm in transition. I was a, a boy, but now I'm, I'm a girl. I'm like, listen, I don't understand that. My mind can't wrap around that. And giving me all this information, I see girls kind of like hugging and kissing each other affectionately. I, I see a lot of crazy things going on in, in our society today. And my friends, the only thing that's going to stem the tide of all of that confusion and craziness is Jesus Christ. That's where the church comes into play. We have got to go and we've got to keep spreading the word of God so that boys and girls, men and women, their lives can be changed. And you know what? Had I not found Christ, that might be my picture. That might be a picture of myself with the depravity that probably could have taken control of my life. Had it not been for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that might be your story and your story and your story. But we're saved from that. But we've got to reach back and we've got to bring along. James chapter 1 tells us that we ought to hate even their garments spotted. Pulling them out of the fire, the scripture says in the book of James. The fifth chapter. I want to read it for you so you can hear it. James chapter 5 and verse 1, uh, verse, um, verse 20. He says, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his ways. That's what that girl was telling me. We see it over and over. He which converteth the sinner from the errors of his, wave, his ways shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Listen, if we don't like what's happening out there, let's do something about it. Hello? If we don't like what we're hearing, let's do something about it. If we don't like what we're seeing, let's do something about it. You say, preacher, what can we do? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. I want to close with this illustration. Somebody who made a difference. It says, I concluded that I was just a product of chance in this universe. Here's somebody who had no hope. I was going to just live my life, have fleeting moments of happiness, and eventually, that would be that. No hope, no vision, nothing. Then, in one of my classes at the university, I met Rosie, a member of the Student, Light, Student Life Crusade Ministry on campus. This was the first time I ever got to know someone that truly followed Jesus. As our friendship grew, we started to have conversations about life and about the Lord. Thank God for this Rosie. She was truly a light in darkness to this person. Through the skill Rosie had learned from student life ministry, she answered my questions 
and share the gospel with me. Look what happens when you share the gospel. Slowly, I began to see the truth in Christianity, and things started to make sense. Christians, we've got to share the gospel. That's our tool. In his death, this is what he realized after um, he began to see the light. In his death, Jesus saved my life. And in knowing that, I put my faith in Jesus and accepted him as my Lord and Savior. Praise God for the gospel. I am no longer living for myself anymore. Amen. I, but for his glory and his purpose. I know my purpose in life is bound, is bound to God, and it is and it is to know him and to do his will. Here's a man, here's a person who was just a heretic. He just thought that there was no soul, there was no life after death, there was no God, there was just, you're like a piece of paper. You live your life and then you burn up and you're gone, it's over. Until someone shared the gospel with him. Folks, the gospel makes a difference. Will you share it? Will you tell others? How do you do it? Just tell them what happened to you. Just introduce them to the Savior that you know. You know, if a missionary hadn't come to Anguilla, a lot of people don't even know where Anguilla is. How in the world did this missionary find out? I mean, Anguilla is like a little 16-mile long ship three miles wide in the, in the Atlantic Ocean. And yet, God sent a missionary there to preach the gospel. If the missionary had not come, I wouldn't be standing here preaching the gospel to you. You see, if we sow the seed, the seed will grow. If you sow the seed, the seed will grow. Matthew chapter 13 says, the seed that fell in good soil, it produced a hundredfold, sixtyfold, and 34, but nevertheless, it produced. And I'm here to tell you, sweet communion, keep preaching the gospel. Keep doing what you've been doing for 25 years. Except, do it more often. Do it more fervently. Do it with, with fervor and commitment. And get other people to do it with you. Paul said to the church at Thessalonica that you abound more and more. Will you make that commitment today that you're going to live for God and you're going to be more faithful to him than you were for the past 25 years or the past year? I'm going to, I'm going to give him my all. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to keep on living for him. I'm going to keep on serving him. I'm not going to waver. I'm not going to turn back. I'm not going to give up. Some have turned back. Some have turned away. Some have left, but God kept you here for a reason. Would you commit to him today? Lord, I'm going all the way with you. I'm not going to turn back. I'm not going to give up. And God will bless you for that. God bless you, sweet communion. Keep on pressing on for the honor and the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads in prayer. 
Oh, Lord God, we thank you, Lord, for this ministry. We thank you for this church. We thank you for this pastor. We thank you for the, the faithful members that make up this congregation. We pray that you would sanctify them, anoint them with fresh oil so that they may press on with fervor and zeal and vision and commitment for the next 25 years. Oh God, don't let them be discouraged. Don't let Satan divide them. Keep them united and keep them steadfast. And may you get the honor and the praise and the glory for all that is accomplished in this place. And we'll promise to love you and serve you and honor you to the best of our ability. These things we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand. We'll sing a hymn.